0: Hope everyone's doing well. Welcome to the Magia Mindset. Today's guest is going to break down football fitness. He is going to give his perspective of how to maximize player performance within the beautiful game. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome our guest on our show again, Raymond Verhein. Roll the intro. Raymond, thank you so much um, for putting in the time. Uh, I know your schedule is so busy, especially right now with all of the new projects you have going on. So again, from our end, thank you again for coming back on the show and talking about the beautiful game.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, It's, uh, it's crazy time and, and busy time, like you said, with, uh, with all the, the transition from, uh, from physical courses to, uh, to online courses. It's a, it's a lot of work in a, in a short period of time.
0: For sure. So I want to right away get into football and fitness within it, like the fitness within football. And I think some of the stuff, for example, I'm based in the United States and a lot of us, football is not the primary sport. I mean, um, uh, not American football, international football. It's not the primary sport. So a lot of the sports performance coaches and stuff we have out here, it segues to different sports as well. I want to kind of dive into what is f- uh, fitness in football? What is it that we can kind of um, break down in those kind of theories?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very good question. And, and also uh, the most fundamental question, what is football fitness? And, uh, and basically the, the question that precedes that is, uh, what is football? And, be, and then football fitness is a specification of, uh, of, of, of the answer to what is football. Um, but yeah, if we briefly zoom out, um, it's, it's the biggest sport in the world. Maybe not in your country, like you just said, but uh, worldwide it's the biggest sport. And as, as we have previously discussed in our, uh, in our first uh, conversation, it's pretty sad that um, in the biggest sport of the world, that a simple thing like football fitness has not been clearly defined. Uh, because if you have a clear definition of what football fitness is, then football fitness training is a logical consequence of that. It's just the application of uh, of the definition. And... Um, and as a result, uh, as a result, in uh, in the last uh, five, six, seven decades worldwide, you see a lot of coaches with good intentions doing all kind of things, um, thinking that they are developing the fitness of their players, but they end up doing all kind of uh, non-contextual stuff like uh, running around the pitch or uh, sprinting uphill or now. And everybody who is watching can think of all the crazy non-contextual things that he or she has done in the past as a, as a player. And the thing is that traditionally people think that you need fitness for football. So uh, before you are able to play football, you need to be fit first. And then when you are fit, then you are ready to play. And in reality, you don't need fitness for football, because if you are developing fitness for football, it means that before you are playing football, you are doing something else than football. So in other words, you are developing fitness outside the football context. That is what you are doing if you are developing fitness before you're going to play football. So you're not playing football yet. But you are developing fitness. So that cannot be fitness in a football context because, like I said, you are not playing football yet. So that means that you are developing uh, fitness outside the football context, assuming that you develop fitness outside the football context and that there is a transfer to the football context. Yeah, and that is, like I said, an assumption. In reality, What it means, uh, football fitness, is that you need fitness in the football context. So, football fitness is fitness in the football context. So, players do not need fitness for football. They need fitness in football, in the football context. And to go one step further, when you are playing football, you are interacting with the football environment. Uh, With the ball, the opponent, your teammates, the pitch, the goal, etc. So you are interacting with the football environment. And like we have previously discussed, those football interactions basically have three phases. First, you are communicating with the surrounding to exchange information. Uh, You are sending information, you are receiving information. And based on that exchange of information, that communication, verbally and non-verbally, you are collecting information and then you make a decision. So decision-making is the second phase and then you execute that decision. So communication, decision and execution, the CDE together is what you call a football interaction or a football action. And... If you are Usain Bolt, or uh, when you, you, Usain Bolt used to be a sprinter, he was interacting with the surrounding ones and then he was finished. Uh, it was one action of 100 meters and then he was finished. So Usain Bolt did not need fitness. He needed communication, decision, execution uh, as quickly as possible to win the 100 meter sprint. But in football... After you have performed the first football interaction, there's going to be a second one and a third one and a fourth one and a fifth one. And ideally, you perform them as frequently uh, as possible in a, in a short period of time to, uh, to be able to play with a higher tempo in the first half. So football actions, communication, decision, execution, as frequently as possible to play with a higher tempo, that is one part of football fitness. And then, of course, in the second half, you want to maintain that high tempo, both from a quality and a quantity point of view. So you want to maintain the quality of your football interactions, and you also want to maintain the quantity, the frequency of your football interactions so that you can maintain this high tempo for 90 minutes if necessary in the game. So these football interactions, as frequently as possible and for as long as possible, because the game is 90 minutes, that is football fitness. So you do not need fitness to be able to play football, but when you are playing football, so when you are in the football environment, you need fitness. And that means that you must be able to interact with your football environment as frequently as possible, and for as long as possible. And that is the, 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 the philosophical definition of football fitness. And as a result, if that objective and universal definition of football fitness is clear, then players will not end up running around the pitch or sprinting between cones or running in the mountains or on the beach or in the woods or whatever. Because running on the beach does not fit in the football fitness definition of interacting with the football environment as frequently as possible and for as long as possible. So everything that does not fit in the football fitness definition is by definition, not football fitness and not football fitness training. And... If the, if football coaches all around the world would be educated like this, we could avoid so many unnecessary training sessions and unnecessary wasting of time of in particular youth players. So um, I'll hopefully also this conversation is uh, is going to contribute to the evolution of uh, of football and in particular football fitness.
0: No, I mean, I totally agree in so many ways. Um, and Raymond, it's the difficult part is whenever you have the players that are up and coming or the parents that are just getting started in the game, there are set views set by the coaches and at the higher places that they observe. We don't challenge, we don't question, we observe. Oh, this team, they went and ran mountains. They took their team on a two-week period in the mountains to do mountain training. So our college team needs to do that too, to get fit, to get ready for the season, to have stamina. Our heart rate's got to, the altitude is high. You know, what the boxers do, we got to do. We got to go on the beach and play soccer barefoot because that's what's going to make the uh, environment more difficult and push us to get more fit. I want to kind of... Talk, go into that a little bit. Um, because still, and if we break it in our audience's views in the US within the college game, if we just touch about the college game, a lot of it when they get into the camp at the let's say the division one level, you have a two week period. Not all programs, there are some that are still try to get on the ball first, but majority, let's just say 80, 85 to 90 percent, still. The first few days, you don't probably see the ball. You're you're there doing a two mile test that you got to get under twelve minutes. You do a beep test, and then after they pass it, now it's a reward to get on the ball to start knocking the ball around. Um, mm-hmm. And then by that time, as we were discussing, did you really get football fitness? Did you really get? Did you really maximize your time? I want to talk about that when, for coaches that are getting into preseason camp for the college program, what is the best way to get your players in and first introduce football fitness within their program to get the touches of what should be their focus? Two, what are the activities that develop football but also prevent their injuries?
1: Yeah, I I recognize what you're saying, that uh, a lot of people, they are very um, sensitive or perceptual for for what the champion has done. Uh, Let's put it that way. So whatever team has won the title, and then everybody is curious what they did, pretending that everything they have done must have contributed to the success. And the problem is that a lot of people do not or are not able to distinguish the difference between because of or in spite of. Yeah? Did they win the title because of this and this in preparation? Or did they win the title in spite of this and this in preparation? And there's no way you can prove it. Yeah? Because one moment a certain team is doing something in preparation, and they win the title, and then the next moment another team is is copying that, and then they don't win the title. So what does that then say? Is it now last year true because they won the title, and is it now this year not true anymore because we did not win the title? Yeah, I hope you understand that is a very uh, childish and and very arbitrary and subjective way of thinking yeah, that. It's basically like a dog who's chasing his own tail. So, oh, Brazil world champion, what did they do? Oh, let's copy. Oh, hey, it, is, it doesn't work with us. Oh, who, who who has now won the title? Oh, uh, France has won the title. Oh, what have they done? Oh, this, okay, let's copy it. Hey, it doesn't work with us. Oh, who has won the title? Germany. Oh, what did they do? Oh, let's copy it. Hey, it doesn't, doesn't work with us. You see? So it's like a dog who is chasing his own tail. And every time you are copying the champion, so every time you're doing something else, rather than just developing your own way of thinking and your own way of working. So instead of taking other people's subjective and arbitrary experiences as a starting point, because you cannot prove whether somebody was successful because of something, or in spite of something, and that is what you call inductive thinking. So there is an experience, and that is an arbitrary experience, and then people generalize it. But the thing is, you cannot generalize experiences. And a famous example is, of course, that if you have experienced in your life 100 swans, and all the swans were white, Can you now generalize as a matter of fact that all swans are white? Or is it still possible that later on in your life you will see, experience, a white swan or a black swan? So uh, inductive thinking, so extrapolating, generalizing experiences is very vulnerable. Uh, You make yourself vulnerable for mistakes and, and the flavor of the month. Instead, it is more, um, um, more powerful to use deductive thinking. So you start with a objective starting point that you can trust. Okay? In contrast to an experience, you cannot trust that. But you start with a objective reference point, and then you start to reason logically based on that objective starting point. So if this is true, then that this must be true. And if this is true, then this must be true. And gradually, you build an objective, reliable house. And that's basically what I also did uh, in general and also at the start of this conversation. First, you say, okay, this is football. And then if you say, this is football, then you say, okay, then this is football fitness. And then after you have defined football fitness, you say, okay, if this is football fitness, then this is the periodization of football fitness. So rather than just copying the champion and chasing your own tail and just going from one flavor of the month to the other, you are just doing logical reasoning and you are layer after layer developing a philosophically sound and therefore reliable foundation and that is basically also how I started this conversation football communication decision execution so that is the first layer and then I'm not Usain Bolt but I'm Lionel Messi if I'm Usain Bolt then CDE once finished but Lionel Messi has to do CDE communication decision execution a football action over and over and over again And he must be able to maintain the quality and the quantity in the last part of the game. And that is football fitness. So then you go from football to football fitness and then to the periodization of football fitness based on objective and logical reasoning. And that is the problem in football. A lot of people, they work and think based on inductive thinking. So they experience something, And then they think it's true. But in reality, it is about the knowledge that is true. Uh, Just imagine, just imagine that you have a time machine and you can go back in time to 1970. And you are standing at the sideline of a training session of the most successful coach at that moment in 1970. And you are looking at that training session, and in particular, you are listening to the things this coach says. What is now the a big chance if you analyze the training session that compared to the modern days, it's very superficial. It's very arbitrary. It was very good 50 years ago. So in that time period, it was the best available information, and the best available uh, knowledge. But compared to today, yeah, it, it looks superficial and arbitrary, of course. And now the question is, for all the coaches who are watching right now, the difference between you and that coach 50 years ago, or the difference between a top coach today and a coach 50 years ago, That difference, is the difference in that 50 years, is that a difference of knowledge or is it a difference of experience? And hopefully asking the question is answering the question because maybe that coach in 1970 had much more experience than a coach today. But the coach in 1970 had a lot of experience with the knowledge level that was available at that moment. And maybe today, a certain coach has less experience than the 1970 coach, but he has less experience with a much higher knowledge level. You see? And with this metaphor, uh, by going back in time, 50 years, the difference between the best coach today and the best coach 50 years ago is not experience, It is knowledge, thinking tools. And that is another way of, of explaining to people that you should not take experience as a starting point and then extrapolate it based on inductive thinking. You should take knowledge and facts and principles as a starting point based on deductive thinking. Yes, and... Yeah, that is, the, that is the landscape that we can hopefully change in the, in, in the upcoming decades because it's going to take time. And that hopefully when a certain team is training in the mountains for two weeks and then they win the title, that not everybody is jumping on that, pretending that that is the Holy Grail, but that well, maybe if they had not gone to the mountains, they maybe they would have performed even better because you cannot prove that going to the mountains was the decisive factor. It is based on inductive thinking. It is impossible to improve, uh, to prove that point. So logical reasoning, but rather than uh, thinking that experiences are facts.
0: No, I mean, that's brilliantly said. And I love the, the story of the time machine, because I think we tend to forget that, um, Times were different. And recently we had a, we had a great legendary player pass away and Diego Armando Maradona. And you just see how the game, when you watch him, if you were watching the glimpses of back then, how the game kind of looks, sometimes we forget because we're watching today's game. And when we look the game today and there, we can just see the speed of play, the different quality of the game. And when you see that the coaching was different too. And sometimes we go in the past to study and to see how we can be effective instead of saying, like, if you go in the past and say you're actually falling behind of it because the game is absolutely different today. And it's evolving. It's evolving. It's evolving every day. What I wanted to kind of get into as we were discussing about uh, preseason is what is, a, what is a sample session look like in fo- football and fitness when you're having uh, your group checking in? You know, I think some of us, um, I want to first start off with what, what would a sample practice look like? Then we can transition of how would the first couple of weeks of that program look like and periodizing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just to, to react on, on the point that you made about, uh, about the past. Uh, what, what is very important is that people do not look at the past in terms of right or wrong. Uh, like I just said, um, in 1970, what the best coach in 1970 did was at the best of his abilities, eh, that he only had access to what people were able to know at that moment. And today, we are able to know more. Eh? The thing only is that what people should understand that in 17 years or in 50 years time, so let's say in 2070, people will look at us the way we look at a coach in 1970. Today, we don't know things that people will know, coaches will know in 50 years' time. And we are desperate to know more, but certain things are not uh, possible to know right now because we need certain uh, thinking breakthroughs or scientific breakthroughs. to to speed up the, the football evolution. So in 50 years' time, coaches will look at us the way we look at coaches in 1970. And the difference between us and a coach in 2070 is not experience, because maybe today we have more experience than a certain coach in 2070. But in 2070, in 50 years' time, there is much more knowledge and again, so it's not about right and wrong. It is just about what is possible to know today. And then every every coach should ask himself the question, okay, there is a certain ceiling in terms of what is possible to know today. But am I here at that ceiling or am I below the ceiling? In other words, I I don't even know what is possible to know today. You see? If you are at that ceiling, so if you know everything that is possible to know today, okay, then there is nothing else you can do. But the problem is that a lot of coaches today, they don't know everything, all the knowledge that is available and possible to know today. And that is that is where the problem is. And then to go to your uh, to question about precision, so uh, let's zoom in. Um, in preseason, when, when your players uh, return from the off-season, obviously they have lost a certain amount, uh, more or less, of their football fitness. So what does that mean? That they are not able to perform as many actions per minute as they used to do at the end of last season. And they are not able to maintain this high frequency of actions for 90 minutes, the way they were able to do at the end of last season. Yeah, so it is not that they have lost fitness in general, because then you end up doing non contextual things again in preseason. No, football fitness can be defined in three specific football fitness characteristics. First of all, it is more football actions per minute that allows you to play with a higher tempo in the first half. It is the ability to maintain good football actions. So 100% quality football actions for 90 minutes. And it is the ability to maintain many football actions. So to maintain the frequency. So more football actions per minute to play with a higher tempo in the first half and maintaining good and maintaining many football actions to play with a high tempo for 90 minutes. And these three football fitness characteristics, they have faded away a little bit during the off season. And now you have to regain those three football fitness characteristics And then the question is, in what sequence are you going to do that? Well, first, you're going to uh, regain the ability to maintain many football actions. So you're going to play, for example, football fitness games somewhere in the area like uh, 11 against 11, 8 versus 8. Why? Because if you play football fitness games, 11 against 11, 8 versus 8, With relatively many players on the pitch, you will perform fewer actions per minute. And then later on in preseason, you shift to football fitness games seven against seven, six against six, five against five, fewer players, which means that every single player will now perform more actions per minute. And then in the last phase of preseason, you're going to do football, fitness games, four against four, three against three. So now every single player has to make many football actions per minute. So let's say 11 against 11, few actions per minute because we are not fit yet. In the middle of preseason, seven against seven, five against five. So more football actions per minute. And then at the end of preseason, four against four, three against three. So many football actions per minute. So you see that during preseason, there is a gradual increase in terms of actions per minute by reducing the number of players for each team. So you go from maintaining many football actions per minute. So maintaining 11 against 11, eight versus eight, Seven against seven, five versus five. And then at the end of preseason, you go from the football fitness characteristic, maintain many football actions. You switch to the football fitness characteristic, more actions per minute. The football fitness games, four against four, three against three. So you see that there is a, a transition based on more actions per minute from week to week during the preseason and then we have not regained fitness in general, but we have regained football fitness in the football context. So when we return after the offseason, we cannot perform a lot of actions per minute and we cannot maintain it. So we play big games and then gradually during preseason, we regain our ability to perform more and more actions and to maintain it for longer and longer. So we work our way towards four against four, three against three in the last phase of preseason. So now you see that in football action language, I have explained not only football fitness with the different football fitness characteristics, but also the periodization of football fitness from big games to medium games to small games, from maintaining many actions to more actions per minute. So you develop the periodization of football fitness, in this case, in preseason.
0: No, I mean, <laughs> it's so crazy when you look at it from that perspective that if you listen and think about it that is football fitness because you're getting rest time when it's at 11v11 your limited rest time becomes when it becomes 3v3 4v4 2v2s 1v1s the higher intensity is more instead when you can break down the sessions like that it's more effective of teaching you off the ball movement touches on the ball communication in a in a more team environment than going and doing a two two mile run and getting under 12 minutes and you're like you're ready for a game you're not ready for
1: a game yeah, maintaining football maintaining football is not maintaining running so what people think is they are developing non-contextual fitness like running and they think that running is fitness and then they say, yeah, but because in football you also have to run, which in itself is true. But running in, foot, in football is not the full story. What you must be able to maintain in football is, first of all, communication. Because when you get tired, your peripheral vision decreases. So when somebody gets tired, he starts to communicate more in a tunnel. So you have tunnel vision. So maintaining football is, first of all, maintaining communication. So also maintaining peripheral vision. And then after communication, it is decision-making. So football players have to maintain decision-making. So even when you are tired, you should maintain passing forward and not when you get tired you start to pass more and more wide and back because you play safe because you are tired. No, even when you are tired, the fatigue should not influence the quality of your decision-making. So you should also overload maintaining good decision-making. And then you have to maintain the execution of decision. And when you are executing decisions, Yes, you are running sometimes. When you are pressing or transitioning or creating space or you are running. So maintaining running is an integral part of football fitness, of maintaining football. But maintaining execution of decisions, so maintaining football technique is not only maintaining running, but it is also maintaining 100% quality passing, 100% quality controlling of the ball. That is also football fitness. So football fitness is maintaining good football actions. And running is an integral part of that. But maintaining good controlling of the ball or maintaining good passing of the ball or maintaining good pressing and then also... uh, stabilize your upper body so that you don't bend forward when you are pressing when you are tired because when you are bending forward you are destabilized and then it's very easy for the opponent to get past you when you are pressing so the thinking mistake that people make is that they think that running is fitness no running is one way of executing decisions within football actions. But maintaining passing, maintaining controlling is also maintaining football. So when you are playing football fitness games, 11 against 11 or 7 against 7, you are maintaining football and as an integral part, you are also maintaining running because if you make the pitch a little bit bigger, You have to run more distance when you are performing football actions. So running is not the same as fitness because then you talk about running fitness. No, in football, running is one of the many things you do within football fitness. So it is an integral part of football fitness. And the only way that you can uh, that you can solve that is that you have this philosophical definition of uh, football fitness that I introduced in the beginning of our conversation and that I'm now using to explain what I'm saying.
0: No, that's that's huge. Having your foundation and philosophy set from the from the beginning as we transition to the next ones. Let's say right now we did our job preseason they came in you exactly maticulated what you wanted you broken down they got fit now we're in in season we're in season what does a periodization look like what is it you have let's just say the setup is one game maximum two games a week here and there what is it that you do to properly in season in football fitness kind of set up to allow them to be fit, but obviously in the specific of uh, the concept of in-season, what is it that you're looking at to kind of set up the program of the week per week throughout the season?
1: Well, in in pre-season, what you have done is you have developed football fitness, um, but as an integral part of your playing style development. So you have a certain playing style Mm -hmm. And based on the football fitness characteristic, more actions per minute, your players will be able to perform this playing style with a higher tempo. And based on the football fitness characteristics, maintaining good actions and maintaining many actions, they are able to perform your playing style for 90 minutes. So football fitness... Is an integral part of playing style development and then when the season starts traditionally what people think is okay now we are fit so now let's focus on the games but when the season starts there is absolutely no reason why you cannot develop your playing style further and why as an integral part you cannot develop your football fitness further. If you play two games in one week, it's not possible because then between those three games, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, for example, then all the training sessions are either focusing on recovering from the last game or preparing for the next game. So when you play Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, for example, then football fitness training is not possible. But if you play Sunday, Sunday or Saturday, Saturday, for example, Then in in the middle, you can do football fitness training and then you can develop the ability to maintain the playing style even for longer. So maintaining this high tempo for longer by continuously increasing the number of minutes that you play football fitness games, 11 against 11 or football, fitness game, seven against seven. So maybe at the end of uh, pre-season, your team is playing three times 12 minutes, 11 against 11. But then in the season, you can go to three times 13, three times 14, three times 15. So you can keep increasing the number of minutes and you have to imagine it. So in training, the net playing time is almost 100%. In the game, it's often 55%, 60%. So you play 90 minutes and the net playing time is 55 minutes, for example. And then halfway those 55 minutes, you also have a a half time. In in training, you don't have half time and you don't have uh, yellow cards, red cards, ball out, substitutions. So the net playing time is not 100% in training, but close to 100%. So if you play three times 15 minutes, is 45 minutes. That's a lot. People should not underestimate that. But now you are playing three times 15 minutes with two minutes rest in between games. So that is almost the net playing time of a real game without half time. So it's already a lot. So during the season, you can keep increasing gradually The number of minutes that you play football fitness games, 11 against 11, eight versus eight, or maybe in preseason you did or you reached football fitness games, seven against seven, six against six, five against five, four times six minutes. Then in season, you can go to four times six and a half minutes or four times seven minutes. And now we increase with 30 seconds because it's a more intensive game. So more actions per minute, so we increase the volume with smaller steps. Or, for example, with the football fitness games, four against four, three against three, you keep reducing the rest. Because like I said, with the football fitness games, 11 against 11 and seven against seven, you are overloading the football fitness characteristic, maintain many football actions. So, you want to overload maintaining. So, you play more and more and more minutes. With the football fitness games, four against four, three against three, you are overloading the football fitness characteristic more actions per minute. And more actions per minute means less time, less recovery between actions. At one moment, you make four actions per minute. So, on average, you have 15 seconds between actions. But if you make more actions per minute, maybe five actions per minute, now on average, the time is 12 seconds between actions. So on average, you have less time to recover between actions. So with more actions per minute, if you want to overload that, you don't want to play for longer. No, what you're going to do is you're going to reduce the rest between football. So you are overloading players and you are forcing them to recover quicker. And then when they are able to recover quicker, they are able to perform more actions per minute and play with a higher tempo. So now uh, you reduce maybe the rest from, uh, from two minutes between games four against four, three against three, to one and a half minute, to one minute. So you keep developing your football fitness of your players in season which is the opposite of the traditional thinking, like I said. Okay, uh, preseason is finished. Our players are fit. Okay, let's now focus on the game. No, you can keep, you can keep developing the football fitness of your players as an integral part of the playing style. So maintaining the playing style for longer or performing the playing style with a higher tempo also in season and that is what i just explained is in season periodization
0: no that's that's great to understand and break down and it's you know it's funny because you go back to it to all of our great football philosophers they always say the game is simple and it's simplicity of what it is to gain out of it and But it's hard to make something simple. It's hard to play simple because the knowledge you got to have to understand how you want to set it up based on the players you have, based on the environment you have, based, like you said, the style of play you have, all of those wrapped into one and properly setting up something to prevent injuries and having the team become successful. What I wanted to quickly touch on as our last kind of question and then let you close us out after that is. You know, in season is one thing, but a lot of the players or that try to get their coaches and coaches that try to set up their players during the off season where they're away from their team, what is it that's beneficial to come back in camp? Obviously, you're never going to be in the shape that you are in preseason because you need the games to get you there, but at least to be fit enough to prevent injuries from happening or you don't do anything too much off-season that you come into camp, you're hurt. What is it that you advise or recommend in your kind of philosophy of properly uh, setting up an off-season program?
1: Yeah, yeah, good points. First of all, um, what you often see is that um, people who need a lot of words or people who need a lot of difficult words that is often a sign that they don't understand themselves totally yeah so if somebody can explain something in a very simple way and also in a very football specific way that is often a sign that somebody knows what he's talking about and the more words somebody needs and the more uh, non-contextual catch-all words that somebody's using, the bigger the chance that somebody's talking about something that he has not fully mastered himself yet. Yeah, so the first point you made, I think that's spot on. There are too many people in the football world who do not only make things subjective, so arbitrary, so they do not only share arbitrary, random, yes, yeah, subjective information but they also make things unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. You should play football in a simple way, and you should explain football in a simple way, because then it's already difficult enough. Yeah. So I think that's a very good point that that you made uh, at the beginning. And then secondly, about the off season, and um, and that's of course eh, one of the one of the things that that I pay special attention to. In, uh, in the online football fitness course that we have launched and, and I will share more about it in a, in a few minutes. But the reason why I have decided to make that a, a specific topic and to discuss it extensively is that when coaches, again, with good intentions, develop training programs for their players, individual training programs for the off-season, there are a lot of potential pitfalls. And the mistakes that were traditionally made in preseason are definitely made in off-season. And, and let me give you an example. One of the biggest mistakes that people make in pre-season and in particular in off-season is that they make players run in one tempo. Mm. So players run For 400 meters, or they have to run for one kilometer or one mile or 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And the problem with you when you are running in one tempo is that you are using oxygen. And I'm not going to make it too technical. In the course, I will explain it in more detail. But now I I am going to explain it in a nutshell. When you are running in one tempo you are inhaling the amount of oxygen that you need to develop the energy that you need at that moment, given the tempo that you run. Yes. So in simple words, when you are running in one tempo, 400 meters, one mile, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you are using oxygen to work, to run. In football, you are not running in one tempo. In football, it is short explosions. Mm. And sometimes you have to run for 30, 40 meters in a transition. But that is is about it. So that is just a longer explosion, basically. And when a football player has to perform instantly in a split second, an explosive football action, you don't have the time to increase your amount of oxygen that you inhale. And you don't have the time to increase your blood circulation so that you can transport more oxygen to the muscle. And yet then you develop more uh, energy and then you can perform a more explosive football action. The process that I just described takes too long. Mm. So, In other words, in football, using oxygen to develop energy to perform actions, that system, that oxygen system, is too slow. As a result, football players perform football actions by using energy that is already stored in the muscle. So basically, they borrow energy from the muscle. And then after the explosive action, you are often out of breath. (sighs) And everybody who has played football knows how that feels. But that's very funny because you are standing still or walking, but you are inhaling way too much oxygen compared to what you need when you are standing still or walking. So you are inhaling extra oxygen to develop Extra energy. And why are you, after the football action, developing extra energy to pay back the muscle, to pay back the energy that you borrowed when you performed the football action? So that means that in football, you are predominantly, not only, but you are predominantly using oxygen. To recover. So when you are running in one tempo, you are using oxygen to work, but in football, you are using oxygen to recover, to catch your breath. And when after you have caught your breath, it means that you don't have to inhale extra oxygen anymore. So apparently, you don't have to produce extra energy anymore. So, apparently, you have restored the energy storage in your muscle. So, you have paid back your full debt, and then you are not out of breath anymore. So, hopefully, by explaining it in this simple way, hopefully, people understand that when players are running 400 meters, one kilometer, one mile, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes in one tempo, you are developing one tempo fitness, Mm. one tempo physiology, using oxygen to work, which has nothing to do with football. In football, you need oxygen to recover. So you need recovery fitness. You need recovery physiology. And that is why you have to develop an individual training program with, which is intermittent, short explosions, recovery, short explosion, recovery. Yeah. And the other thing is that when you are running in one tempo, you are like marathon runners, predominantly using your slower muscle fibers in your muscles. And you make your explosive, your fast muscle fibers, you make them slower. But in football, it is about speed of action. So in football, you should embrace your fast muscle fibers because that's often a genetic thing. Yeah, Some people get a lot of slow muscle fibers and a few fast muscle fibers. And then you are more like a marathon runner, a one-tempo football player. And other other people have predominantly fast muscle fibers and a few slow muscle fibers. So now you are more like a sprinting type of person, which is often, for example, the right-left winger uh, who make those explosions. So at a higher level of play, you have less space, less time. So you have to perform your football actions quicker. So fast muscle fibers are crucial. And what are people doing by making football players run in one tempo? The few fast muscle fibers that you do have genetically, you make them slower, which is absolutely the opposite of what you want in football. So in football, you want fast muscle fibers. So you have to keep your fast muscle fibers as explosive as possible So one tempo running is the last thing you should do. 400 meters, one mile, 20 minutes. It is the last thing you should do to make, uh, to avoid making those mistakes. So to cut a long story short, if you develop an individual training program, what you should do is you should develop a training program exactly the same way that you develop a pre-season. And that is what I'm going to teach people in the online football fitness course. And the only difference is that in pre-season with the team, you are interacting with the football environment. So you are performing football interactions, football actions. Individually, in the off-season, you are also interacting with the environment yeah, because you are interacting with the ground, for example. So it's still an action, but not, you are not interacting with the football environment because you are alone. Yeah? There is no football context. So now you are making basic interactions and yeah? non-contextual interactions. So in pre-season, it is football actions. In the off-season, it is basic actions but that should be the only difference between a off-season periodization and a pre-season periodization. Everything else should be exactly the same because if you develop an off-season periodization that is literally the same as the pre-season periodization, except for the football action or basic action, then that is the only transition players have to make when they switch from the off-season to the preseason. And they have to change from basic actions to football actions. But everything else they are prepared for. And this reference that I introduced, this basic action reference, I can also use to explain everything else that we discussed previously. When a coach is training his players, whether it's off-season or pre-season or in-season, when you are doing fitness training, but not in a football context, so players are doing exercises, but in those exercises, they are not interacting with the football environment. They are, by definition, not performing football interactions because they are not interacting with the football environment. So there are no football interactions. So you are now, by definition, not developing football action fitness. You are, by definition, interacting with a non-football environment. So you are performing basic actions, and you are developing basic action fitness. Running around the pitch is basic action fitness. Sprinting between cones is basic action fitness. Running on the beach, running in the mountains, basic action fitness. And when you are doing basic action training, of course, you will see progress. Of course, you will see that your players get fitter. But the thinking mistake that people make is that they assume that players become football fitter, football action fitter, but in reality they are becoming basic action fitter. So yes, you see progress, but it is basic action fitness progress. Second thing, yes, there will be some sort of transfer from basic action fitness to football action fitness. Because when you are doing basic action running, running is an integral part of a football action, as we discussed. So when you are doing basic action fitness training, there will be some transfer to football action fitness because there is some overlap. So it's not about right or wrong. It is about the question, when I do basic action fitness training, there is some overlap and transfer to football action fitness. But how do I get more progress of football action fitness? And of course, the answer is by doing football interaction training for longer, maintaining football actions or with shorter rest more football action fitness so hopefully with this last point and again i have tried to explain it as simple as possible and also as philosophically as possible rather than based on opinions or past experiences no i i try to keep it simple and i try to keep it outside myself so I try to explain it in a philosophical and objective way and hopefully that helps people, hopefully I have given the people that are watching thinking tools so that they can now coach themselves more objectively back home with their players yes
0: no that's brilliant that's brilliant, I mean the the amount of Substance. We 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 elaborate on this conversation. I mean, we can sit back and um, talk for days about what, how we can develop the proper fitnesses in in a specific football training. Um, it gets you excited with the the course you have set up as well. And I want to kind of give the floor to you, Raymond, to kind of close us out because I think uh, as you were discussing with your online program that you're introducing as well going forward. Um, the projects you have going, I mean, it's, it's beautiful to kind of get into and challenge ourselves with, like you said, not the opinions, but pure knowledge of ourselves and understanding different philosophies, perspectives, and what to get. So I want to give the floor to you to introduce the program and how people can come about it and where they can kind of register for it and go from there and any addition to the online programs you have out there you want to introduce please talk about it and then we go
1: from there yeah the, the, the course uh, was launched on our website uh, www.fcevolution.com so football coach evolution so uh, com. and what we have done is we have uh, developed a online football fitness course And the course has 10 steps. And every step, for example, um, football fitness exercises, and then we use uh, training session clips to also explain and visualize those exercises, and football fitness training methods, and then the periodization model and the periodization principles that allow you to... Uh, apply the right exercise at the right moment in the right sequence on the right day, in the right week, and the right month. And then, based on all those tools, we're going to talk about, like I said, eh, off season periodization, in season periodization, pre season periodization in detail. And what I will do is, uh, I will apply all those principles and all those exercises in three different areas for professional coaches. So I will develop a team periodization for a team that is training almost every day for 48 weeks. And then we plan every single day, all the way from the warm-up to the cooling down and everything in between. But I will also do the same for youth coaches who are maybe training uh, two or three times a week or four times a week, as well as amateur coaches working with adults, for example, or or youth players, and also training two or three times a week. So for those three um, professions or three areas, professional football, youth football, and amateur football, I will apply the off-season periodization, pre-season periodization, in-season periodization, just to show all these coaches how, uh, how you can develop those uh, faces. And then at the end, I'm going to create chaos. Mm. And what do I mean with that? Developing a periodization is only a plan in advance uh, that you try to develop in advance the best possible and most balanced training program. But the moment you start to apply that plan, it, It is interacting with reality. And reality is often complex and unpredictable. So as a coach, every day, you have to anticipate new and different external factors. Sometimes you don't have enough players. Sometimes you cannot train on the pitch. You have to train somewhere else. Or sometimes players have school exams or sometimes players are still tired from the last game. So all these external factors we're going to discuss and I'm going to show how you can tailor the planned periodization and make it more realistic at team level, but also on individual level. So the team is doing this, but maybe two, three, four players are doing something else or doing less or doing more. So I'm also going to teach coaches that once you have Planned your periodization, how you can manage chaos. And the interesting thing is that what you sometimes hear, especially from coaches at the highest level, they say, Yeah, we play so many games, periodization is not possible. And that's very funny because apparently they think that periodization is a task or Periodization is an objective in itself, as if periodization is something that you have to do on top of other things. And then when you play a lot of games, it's too much, so it's not possible. In reality, when you play a lot of games or when you have a lot of other external factors, chaos will be chaos, independent of whether you're going to periodize or not. If you don't periodize, the chaos is not going to disappear. In reality, periodization is not an objective in itself, a task. No, periodization, and that's what I'm going to teach, periodization is a tool to try to reduce the chaos and try to reduce all the external factors. Because if you play a lot of games, then players... The risk is that players start to accumulate fatigue and start to pick up injuries. So it is even more important that you periodize whatever you do in between those games. Yes. The more games you play, the more risky it will be to train based on your intuition or based on your opinion. So the more complex your situation and the more chaos you're dealing with, the bigger the risk that something will go wrong, and then what I will show is that periodization principles are tools to reduce that risk that something goes wrong, given the complex environment that you're working in. So that is the thing that uh, that we uh, that we discuss as well: how to manage chaos. And like I said, we we use a lot of training clips, and um, but we also use case studies. So mm-hmm. um, what I'm, for example, gonna share, and that is one of the ten steps. So for and that's gonna be a a two-hour presentation. What I'm gonna share is a real case study about uh, the Ajax team that reached the Europa League final in uh, 2017. So they played a lot of midweek games and it was total chaos with the travel, etc. So what I'm going to show is um, how the periodization took place Mm. and also how you can manage the training of your substitute players. Because substitutes have to do something extra because they don't play. But if you play a lot of midweek games, training your subs is even more difficult because you can't train them in overload sometimes because the next game is already in 48 hours. And then the last thing I'm going to discuss in that case study is if you are training defending, that is more demanding than training attacking. When you are pressing, you in general make more actions per minute than when you are building up, for example. So how can you periodize attacking and defending on the different days, also in relation to the games? So match day minus one, match day minus two, or match day plus three. Mm. How can you periodize the development of your playing style in general and overloading, attacking, and defending in particular in on the different days? given all kinds of external factors. And um, that is basically in a nutshell what I'm going to share in this uh, online football fitness course. And um, the nice thing is that we have decided to make this course available permanently, which means that coaches can register at a moment that works for them. And then they will have access to this course for two months from the day of their registration and then for two months they, um, they have access to this course and they can, they can study football, football fitness and the periodization of football fitness in, uh, in more detail. So hopefully for, uh, for everybody who's watching, this is uh, going to be helpful. Yeah? Whether you are a professional coach or a youth coach or working in amateur football, all these areas will be covered uh, in detail. And then hopefully, uh, together, we can, uh, we can uh, develop better and better and better training sessions uh, for our players. Because ultimately, uh, like we discussed before, ultimately, that is our role. Right? Because sometimes coaches think that it's about them. Right? That's how they sometimes act and behave. But in reality, we are only a tool as a coach. We are only a tool, and we have to serve our players so that they can become the best possible player. And um, and hopefully, with this course, we can uh, we can help coaches all around the world a little bit uh, to uh, to get better in that area.
0: I totally agree. And I truly appreciate you putting in the time to come on the show to talk about the beautiful game one, but also showcase that there is uh, resources out there. And sometimes, you know, that's the confusion we get uh, because it's labeled this course, that course, this course, especially in a time that we're indoors at times, uh, we're getting on a lot of webinars. My thing is for the audience to remember that this should be a priority. This is a quality content out there. As you heard our discussion today, that there's so much substance in it that if you implement some, some of this knowledge that you gain from this course into your own environment, you're only going to become that tool that enhances your players around to see that. And you don't know until you implement it, until you go in that course, until you study that course. What I'm saying is this is something that people should put on their checklist that they got to go and take in addition to any of their license courses they want. I know some jobs uh, positions and coaching require a certain license this should be one of those things that I think better enhances them to create a top-notch environment for them to be more successful and to put their players in a better area to be successful. So again, Raymond, I truly appreciate you putting in the time and it's an absolute pleasure again having you on the show.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. And I think uh, your conclusion is is spot on that hopefully besides uh, we zoomed into football fitness that uh, the other thing that people will take out of this this conversation is um, is that ultimately it is about how you apply things, and that's what we call the art of coaching. And uh, so, how you apply things only you as a coach can decide, because you are the only one who knows your external factors and who knows your players. But there is a difference, of course, between applying subjective opinions or applying objective knowledge. In both situations, you don't have a guarantee because ultimately it depends on how you apply it. And one coach is better at applying something than another coach. One coach is better at anticipating external factors than another coach. But if you have more knowledge in your brain, then at least you have a better precondition to be very good at applying things okay? because the subjective application of objective knowledge is no guarantee, but at least it gives you a bigger chance of success than the subjective application of subjective opinions and subjective past experiences. So, um, yeah, I cannot agree more with you, at, uh, with your conclusion. So uh, hopefully the uh, the importance of an objective starting point is um, is also something that that hopefully people will take out of uh, of our conversation. I agree,
0: and thank you again.
1: You're welcome.